Hello and welcome to Live from the Space Shed, a podcast all about space and science hosted by me, John Spooner, and me. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I mean you. <laughs> Mini John. Long story short, a few years ago I accidentally set up my own space agency based out of the shed at the bottom of my garden. Turns out that if you go around telling people you're the director of human spaceflight operations for the unlimited space agency wearing an orange spacesuit, more people than you might think want to play along. And now the British astronaut Tim Peake is our patron and he took me with him to space. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, all right, he took you with him to space. So Minnie John became Unser's first astronaut. Since then, we've been touring in UNSA's mobile headquarters, The Space Shed, to festivals like Latitude and Blue Dot, telling stories, talking to some super cool space and science people, and we've recorded our chats so you can find out about their amazing work as well. Last time on the podcast, we were getting ready for the global climate strike, which was immense. A really extraordinary, very moving day and then week of action involving humans young and old from all over the planet. Look, if you took part in any way, thank you. We hope you're feeling inspired and uplifted to be part of such a positive community of people across the globe working together to fight climate change. I mean, Minnie John had so much fun that he's had to have a big lie down, which is why I'm being a bit quieter than normal. Don't want to wake him up. But the work doesn't stop. So let's get straight into this episode of Live from the Space Shed, for which we're back in the faraway forest at Latitude Festival, where I was chatting with the awesome Dr. Alice Bell, a climate activist and historian and the co-director of a brilliant climate charity. In this chat, we cover a really big, fabulous range of climate-based topics and questions, so let's get into it. Enjoy this episode of Live from the Space Shed with Dr. Alice Bell. It's all right, it's just water vapour. Hey! My name's John, I'm John Spooner, I'm the Director of Human Spaceflight Operations here at the Unlimited Space Agency. Welcome to Answers HQ, the Space Shed! Come on, give it up for the Space Shed! Yeah! Okay, that was our third launch attempt of the day. We haven't managed to get off the ground yet, which is, you know, disappointing if you look at it from that sort of point of view in terms of success. However, we have some backup plans. We're here all weekend. We've got an amazing programme of work for you. Work is play, isn't it? I mean, I'm stood here in a spacesuit. In my spaceship! We've been doing shows. We are showing some films in the evenings, early evening. Tonight we're showing Hidden Figures. Then we've got Space Shed DJs happening here into the evening. But one of my favourite things about my job, Director of Human Space for Operations, is I get to meet some really brilliant, amazing, inspiring people. And I'm really delighted this afternoon to be joined by one of those people. She is a, a climate activist, a climate historian, and an avid bat lover. Would you please welcome to the stage Dr. Alice Bell? Woo! We need a chair, Fido. You can tell it's the end of the first day. It's a little bit haphazard. Hi, Alice. Hi. Take a seat. Alice, I have 
been very excited about you coming and joining us in the space. So we've been talking for a few months now, mm-hmm. as I've got deeper into exploring the climate. You're, you've got an interesting take on whether or not, or what words we use for climate change, yeah. crisis, breakdown, emergency. I think we should use whatever words we want to. Okay, cool. Um, I mean, we should. We could say. Cli- some people say we should say climate crisis and only climate crisis. I think that's quite a useful term. It helps us reflect on like how dangerous and scary it is. Um, but climate change is perfectly reasonable too. You can call it climate emergency, climate conundrum, or whatever. I don't know. Maybe some of you have got some other ideas. I think we need more words to talk about climate change. Not, not anyone uh, got anyone got uh, yeah. Climate disaster. Are we at disaster mm-hmm. levels mm-hmm. yet? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is cheery Saturday afternoon latitude festival material for everybody. Everyone's going. Oh my god. Um, but we're going to. Is it Friday? Oh, it's only Friday. <laughs> <laughs> so far I've been to go. Here too long already. It <laughs> Thanks a, very much. It is a disaster already. But the thing about climate change is that it isn't a win or lose thing. It's not like you know once you've hit something bad there's no there's that's it it's just a catastrophe um and it's all over climate change kind of happens by degree so even though there's lots of losses there's still so much more that we can save so we've already got about a degree celsius what global warming and that is already seriously hurting lots of people and putting a lot of of lives at risk even in places that aren't affected that much by it like britain but there is so much more that we need to stop and there's so much more danger that is ahead that we haven't got to yet and so there's so much more that you know that we can still do so there is it's both a disaster emergency and an i'm going to give you climate opportunity it could be an opportunity i mean there's lots of things that we could do to to stop climate change that will also help lots of other things you know they make the air cleaner there's all sorts of different other things that will happen with climate action that are good a bit worried about saying it's an opportunity because it sounds like it's a good thing and it's it's undoubtedly not a good thing but just before we get into how bad things are because this hasn't always been your thing you started as uh your phd was in science history uh kind of science literature books books about science books yeah. uh but you've come to this uh you've not always been a climate actor and now you do work with an amazing climate charity 1010 yeah i am one of the co-directors of a climate charity called 1010 and we do practical things that people can do to get involved in climate action themselves so it's not just something that politicians do or big industries do or just you know people who are the you know extreme climate activists do it's something for everyone to be involved in because if we're going to tackle climate change at the level we need to it's going to change all of our lives and so I, I believe it's really important that we all have a role in it so we can decide how we shape that and what we do Brilliant. so that's the sort of thing we do we, and that's um, what we're going to get into who here has been worried about the climate crisis okay for the podcast's sake everybody there's um, a lot of people not putting their hands up do you see who was it let's let's out them it's about the middle row i don't know <laughs> they're a bit shy it's it's mm. it's, a Saturday, it's friday <laughs> afternoon at latitude um so we're going to get into what we can do, but you just mentioned we've already got a degree. There's a big report out last year, the IPCC yeah. uh, report, talking about we've got to avoid 1.5. Yep. And we're already at one degree. Is that is it Roughly, really... I mean, they st- there was a report out from the Met Office at the end of 2015 saying that that might be the first year that we've got a degree. They're now saying it might be not for another couple of years. But, I mean, it's sort of it's very easy to think one degree, 1.5, two, and that's like suddenly, bang, the sky goes terribly pink or something. Um and there's explosions everywhere it, because it happens by degree and it happens by bit of degree and actually that's an average for the whole of the planet for the whole of the year 
we're a bit we're we're, we're a bit in, in the mud already I'll put it that way yeah okay so is it as bad as because i don't know that we're all really on board with quite how bad and urgent this this situation is is it as bad as you're making out yeah so there's already we've got to a degree warming and that might not seem very much but that is uh, you know an average temperature for the whole of the world for the whole of the year and what that can that already is meaning that things like last year's heat wave was much more likely to it, it was much more likely to have occurred in the first place because of the global warming that we have and we're much more likely to have those in the next few years and it was quite nice in some parts um but also I mean, we do know that there were higher than average um uh, numbers of deaths in the UK last year and again this is a country that's not affected by climate change very much. The heat wave in France in 2003 um, which is quite a way back now but it was really in people's memories because tens of thousands of people died across the whole of Europe and that was one of the reasons why when it was really hot in France in the last few weeks they had some amazing policies in place to try and keep everyone cool and even then when the data comes out about in a few months about average deaths in the summer it'll probably have been higher. So people in this country are already dying because of climate change are we all going to die probably i mean well we are all going to die that's one certainty in life we will all die uh, but um they're sort of like are, are humanity going to go extinct it would need to be a lot hotter than uh, it is now it would potentially be the kind of heat that we're on course for if we still live our lives at the level we are and it, but even then it's sort of it's not really the thing we know we don't just need to be worried about everybody dying it's a lot of us dying and a lot of our lives becoming a lot harder because of that there's a climate scientist in oxford who says that he doesn't really worry about three or four degrees what he really worries about is the social collapse that are happening around 1.52 and then we'll all kill each other because climate change will impact on other things and could precipitate you know a global war um, so there's all sorts of other clever ways that humans could come up with with killing each other. Yes, sorry, I'm finding other ways to make everyone depressed. It's not just climate no. change. It's nuclear war well, and big famine. Thing. We've, we've, spoken, we've spoken about this a few times today. Um, I find it terrifying, and I think as I've uh, learned and understood much more about it, I've found it increasingly scary, and i found it really useful and important to help me deal with the way that I'm feeling by talking about it. Because we don't like to talk about it, and particularly in these sorts of settings. <laughs> it's like, seriously, mate... <laughs> we're here for some fun we're on holiday um but actually i feel a lot better by talking about it yeah i think that's true i find that um when i first started working in climate change i worked at a university and i was working across all sorts of different areas of science and my boss said do you like climate change would you like to work on climate change and i went don't know if i like it but all right it seems important and i had to read up a lot more before then i was sort of you know i thought of myself as someone who cared about climate change i worried about flying too much or how much meat i ate but i kind of avoided thinking about it too much and then i had this job where i had to do it all day but i was on my own mainly working and i just used to sit under my desk with like reading new papers on sea ice melt in the arctic just getting really 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 depressed i was sort of hiding under my desk and then when I got the job that I'm doing now, not only do I work with a team, so I'm talking about it, but I'm doing practical work with other people and I feel like I'm helping other people talk about it and do something and that I don't feel so depressed about it. So I'd say, yeah, talking about it is... Otherwise it gets bottled up and then you, it'll come out in other ways. Um, and also it's not going to help us take action if we don't talk about it. And particularly, I think, in a family context because it's something <laughs> yeah. that is a big conversation in schools and it happens there, but I'm not convinced that many of us are doing it as families to support each other. Indeed, I remember growing up in the 80s. Anyone else grow up in the 80s? Against the backdrop of... Like, it was constant, the um, threat of nuclear holocaust. That's what I re remember practising in school to... <laughs> if, there, if a bomb drops, 
hide under a desk and you'll be fine. That's like the least effective thing to do. Yeah. But so but there are really effective things that we can do. Um, yeah, I'm hoping, I hope that this, the stuff that we're told about climate change isn't on that. I mean, but they're not lying to you quite the same way. Yeah. yeah. But you've got, um, with 1010, you've got really brilliant, beautiful, practical projects that you're doing, which are about uh, community energy sources. Yeah, so we did loads on community solar. We had a whole network. I don't know, does anyone go to a school that's got solar panels on the roof? Some people, yes. Yeah, so, right, so, so we we had a whole network of solar schools. We worked with a community in Balcombe in Sussex to build a solar farm, and they they got so excited. They built a solar farm that powered their village and the village next door. And then they got so excited about it, um, they were like, "How can we power more things?" And they looked at the trains that go through their village, and they were like, "Can we power those trains by solar too?" And so they asked an electrical engineer who happened to live nearby, and he kind of went maybe but i wouldn't bother and they were like well i think we should bother so long story short by this time next year you should be able to get the uh, waterloo to weymouth line should be part solar powered and we're also working with some communities in um cardiff and we'd really like to be working well we could be powering loads of the railways across the uk as long as they're already electrified we also need the government to electrify more of them but it could be it could be powering trains around the world they basically invented a technology that could run around the world it was just a little village in borkham that they had the idea and then they worked with these electrical engineers at flash imperial college and together they've built a whole new technology so that's the sort of, that's like the more gee whiz end of stuff we do we also do stuff where we get communities together to plant trees because p- trees trees are amazing they're not going to solve all our problems there was a, a big study about last week about yeah. how if we just plant loads of trees it'll be fine we need to plant all of the trees and do all of the other things as well but we do need to plant trees and trees unlike a lot of other things we might do for climate change they like they just they just do so many other things as well and they're not i mean you can plant trees badly you have to be careful about it but um when you plant a tree often you get lots of other awesome things as well like shade and it's cool and they they, particularly they soak up loads of water so we've been planting trees in flood affected communities so they can help protect themselves from the floods by the trees soaking up the water but they also help all of us protect us from climate change because the trees absorb the carbon um and you could just get a professional to plant lots of trees very quickly but if the communities do it together they can still do it quite quickly but they also do all sorts of other things while they do it like they they talk about climate change and they, mm. it gives them an opportunity to have that conversation about climate change which otherwise we'd be a bit like i don't want to do this but if you're planting a tree and you're doing something positive that kind of makes it a bit easier and plant has anyone planted a tree oh. I really recommend it if you haven't. It's 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 actually when the people told me they were gonna I was gonna plant a tree and I'd be moved by it, it was I was like, Oh you old hippie, shut up. But it is really moving and you plant a tree with someone else and it's really sweet and you feel like you're doing something for the future. it's and it's it's really meaningful and it is properly impactful. Um, so that's another sort of low tech stuff that we did as well. Anyone interested by that idea that you could have your village, your road? I'm I'm interested in getting my side of the road yep. uh, self-sufficient. How do you do it? What you mean, self-sufficient in ter- terms of energy? Well, yeah. Well, like, oh, that's become... a really good idea that you have like a whole section of your street. So, I mean, one way of taking one way that people have done this in the past is like my house is going to go off grid. I'm going to do it. It doesn't really work if it's just you. You have to you have to be infectious in everything you do, and you have to get other people to do it together. And that like sort of your block. That's quite a good number of people to do it. So you used to be relatively easy if you could find some people to club together. You could do what this village in Sussex did and build a, a farm together, or you could just do it in ro- on rooftops. People, um, when I was living in a bit of East London, I looked into being able to do it in the estate that I lived in and a couple of other ones around there, and we'd work together to do it, to our shared roofs. The government's made it a lot harder to do solar. It's almost impossible to build an onshore wind turbine in England. I mean, I'd say it's actually, they're basically, it's effectively, it's banned. The government likes to tell me that they haven't banned it. 
and it depends on your definition of a ban I'd say they've banned wind turbines in England why have they banned it? they say that they're not popular but um, their own statistics show that they are incredibly popular in fact wind turbines get the kinds of approval ratings that politicians can only dream of um, <laughs> so uh, they know that they know that that's a lie um, in fact the government like to use pictures of wind turbine in their own in t- wind turbines in their own PR so they know it's popular otherwise they wouldn't do that um, but yeah it's, al- it's almost it's very difficult at the moment to do something more radical like that. I mean you could try and do some work on energy efficiency with your neighbours and work together to try and reduce your energy first step of that is just to change your light bulbs which might sound really dull but can save a load of energy and if you do that collectively as a whole like if as a whole con- uh, as a whole country Britain went to super energy efficient light bulbs it's like new generation ones not like the ones we had uh, when I was a kid which were a bit dim but like the new ones that are really cool they save so much energy um, if we did it as a nation it would save as much electricity as like several nuclear power stations um, and so it really is, is worth doing as, as a collective group in your area and it's a big part of the a, a really positive solution that we can make to reduce our energy usage it's something we've weirdly in the, in the west in the first world become really accustomed to we can just turn anything on using as much energy as we want i think there's a misconception as well that even by going another great thing that i like um is switch your energy provider if you haven't switched already to ecotricity that's 100 percent renewable electricity 15 percent frack free gas um and have they got the, you on commission no but do you know i just think it's, it's why wouldn't why wouldn't you do it oh, i mean just for balance good energy are very good as well good or energy there's quite a few others and again be infectious is that if it's that one of the things we know in the UK is that lots of people want to change their energy supplier but don't get round to it and yet it's actually really easy so what I would recommend that you do if you haven't done it make yourself do it realise how easy it is and then go round and help someone else do it and there's some companies that are really good at having like refer a friend Bulb or one of the renewable energy groups they, they're really good on they're really good at getting that virality that kind of like getting people to be infectious by having a refer a friend bonus but even if you go with um, Good or Ecotricity or any of the other ones that they, they sometimes do that but you know, get your, get everyone they know to change. It's, and if we all collectively switch, it will really send a great message to the other energy providers as well. And this is something. I mean, I'll be honest. I struggle with this idea of the if I do it, then there'll be this big impact because no one else is doing it. There is, but there, but there is research. So, uh, to take the example of flying, there is research that shows that if you know someone who has given up flying you will cut the number of flights you take so there's a lot of people at the moment talking about pledging to go flight free for 2020 which i think is an achievement even for those of us who who know that they're going to travel abroad and need to get a plane every now and again we might have family abroad friends abroad we're not saying we're necessarily or we just really want to you know to travel somewhere different we're not saying we're going to give up flying forever because there's a lot of good things about flying as well as it being one of the most polluting things you could do but just for a year that's something that a lot of people could do they'd be like right 2020 i'm not going to fly if you take that pledge you might think oh it's not going to do much but if you tell your friends they're likely to reduce they there is research that suggests that they are likely to reduce their flying so you can be part of that cultural change i mean just look at how much things have shifted in terms of plant-based eating it wasn't that long ago that if you were vegan you were just such a weirdo and now you know everyone's doing it and or they're doing it a bit or they're cutting down yeah um, and it's that cultural, that ability to create cultural change with people around you is actually really powerful. And that's a way of also causing direct change at a political level because you go, well, they want it. This will win us votes rather than having to storm the Houses of Parliament. Again, because I used to be a social scientist who researched these things, so I've, I've read all this research. There is also research on this that shows that um, 
the, the MPs in the UK, a lot of them do actually want to do more on climate change, but they think that their constituents don't want it. So all you need to do is let them know that you want it, and they'll be. They'll, and that's one of the reasons why Extinction Rebellion um, and the school strikes have been so successful in the last year, because they have shown the politicians that there are quite a large number of people in the public that want action. And the politicians are like, oh, I can do this thing that I've kind of thought I should be doing for years. And they're starting to, they're still too slow. They've still got a ban on onshore wind and stupid things like that. But they are starting to take uh, a lot more interest. I certainly noticed this as a climate campaigner, that it is much easier for us to have conversations with people in power now, uh, people in political power now than it was six months ago. And it is the school strikes and Extinction Rebellion have helped publicly make the point that actually a lot of the British public already thought, which is they really wanted action on climate change. So if you if you want action on climate change, tell your MPs. They will they they might I often say this to people and they're like, My MP doesn't listen to me. They might pretend they're not listening to you, but it will go in and once they've had a few of you bug them, they'll be on the phone to me saying, oh, I've got all these constituents bugging me, or right, I'm gonna sign my letter to say that I would like you to lift the ban on onshore wind and then we will get change. Has anyone here already written to the their MP about their concerns about it? so there's a handful of you. Don't be shy. You know, you put your hand go Yeah, I have well done you that's a lot of us that haven't i wonder who would be up for taking a little pledge now turning to the person next to them and going joe it's really easy there's two websites i love to recommend there's they work for you if you don't know who your mp is they work for you.com that's what they do you can go and find out who your mp is write to them.com will do the job of writing you don't even have to find out their email address you just write in your message I, I can also recommend another website which is 1010uk.org <laughs> 1010uk.org uh, we have particularly have a campaign on the onshore wind ban at the moment because it is one of the most ridiculous and easily solvable problems that we have in terms of climate action in the UK and we ha- already have over 100 MPs that have signed up to our campaign we've also got quite a few that have told us that they would like to but they just haven't got around to it yet so we know that our supporters have been bugging MPs up and down the country and uh, you could if it's if you're in particularly if you like wind turbines you could you could do something really important Britain was a place that invented the wind turbine and we cannot build them here um you could be something historic you could help us lift this ridiculous ban and we can start building them so that's also just if you want to do a specific campaign 1010uk.org let's take 1010.org uk.org sorry it's a terrible website i know right so show of hands who's going to do it Okay, I'm going to take a picture. If you don't want to be in the picture for whatever reason, some of you haven't got your hands up, that's fine. I understand everyone's got, you know, different passions. There you go. Um, We'll put that up on one of our websites. And uh, you can sort of comment under it and go, yeah, I did it. And we can support each other in that way. An unnamed member of my family, I have these conversations and I'm trying to be viral and infectious, but um, then they turn to me and they go, oh, yeah, because the UK is pretty good on all this stuff even the eu is getting uh, like comparatively i guess to what i'm getting to and then they go ah, oh, but you know china and that's literally the argument do you hear that yeah um so there's two things about that one is that yes china does um have a lot of uh, has quite high carbon emissions there's a lot of people so per person it is not quite so not quite so high also we started this mess in Britain. So Europe generally, since 1992, which is when the uh, internationally the government agreed to start taking action on climate change, probably long before several of you were born, uh, certainly when lots of people here were very young. We've been doing this a long time. In 1992, we agreed that we'd start globally we'd start taking action and one of the first things that the internationally all the governments agreed was that the richer countries would do it first so it would be 
EU, which gets counted as a block in these particular conversations, uh, the USA, Canada, countries like that would take the first steps. Although since then, China and Brazil and a couple of other big countries are a lot richer than they were. They still no, they still don't have quite the same um, heritage of wealth and you know legacies of colonialism to be able to sit on. Still, in the UN process, we think that the EU should be ta- doing more. So when you look at people like Britain or France or America and you say you're doing all, all right. We still need to be pushing them to do, be doing more. And there's also the argument that, you know, Britain in particular caused a lot of these problems. Um, and so arguably we have responsibility to do more. And also it's easier for us to do more. The other thing to say specifically on China is that they are also pushing forward on climate action very, very, very fast. In fact, faster than some other countries. So yes, they do burn a lot of coal, but they also make a load of solar panels. At one point they were installing win- one wind turbine an hour. And one of the reasons why the price of solar and wind has dropped so much in the last few years is that we've been having so much industry in countries like China doing this. So they also are playing quite a large role in climate action um, and so arguably a lot more than they necessarily will be expected to so take responsibility everybody yeah. and don't allow don't allow people to make that argument for us we, we shouldn't be letting ourselves off the hook with that argument and, I mean Britain is quite small and probably shouldn't be listened to as much as it is it certainly arguably it won't be in the future but it, no, but it still has a disproportionate amount of power like we've been so one of the things that Britain's done that's quite good recently is we have managed to start stop burning coal the country that started burning coal on industrial levels people were burning coal before Britain got in it but we got into it seriously and we got we got good at it and we got we found clever ways of burning a lot of coal very quickly and finding new ways to do that and reasons to do it and spread that around the world the country that started the industrial revolution with burning coal has regularly goes weeks without burning any for electricity so there's very little coal is burnt in the uk now we've really led the the way in terms of going coal free so that's that's a good thing that we've done and it's influencing other countries it probably people shouldn't listen to britain arguably but they do so that's another reason why as British people, we should be taking action because more more people around the world probably shouldn't follow us, but they do. Um, so we have it's that, that, that infectious power. We also have infectious power as a nation. You, you you know a lot about this stuff, don't you? Because the reason that Alice is an expert in this is because she has read all of the papers and has dedicated her life to to doing this. Well, no, I haven't read all of the, one of the things about climate change all is it's them. so it's so complicated and there's so many different areas of expertise and not one person can be an expert in all of it. So I, I do know about the history of it because I got very geeky a few years ago and read all of the, the history books I could find on history of wind turbines and I was talking earlier about solar power in the 1860s. Did you know that there was solar power like that like, like long ago? Napoleon funded solar steam power uh, back in the, in the mid to late 19th century. And then they just stopped because coal was so cheap. And it wasn't until the space... Oh, we were talking about it because it was the space age that really boosted solar innovation because it was still too cheap with um, oil and gas and coal were still too cheap to bother. People weren't too worried about climate change. They knew it was happening, but they weren't really bothered too bothered about it uh, back in the 50s and 60s. But it was silly to if you're sending something up in space it was silly to fill it all with a load of coal you couldn't cost a lot of money to get all that to hold that weight of the coal up there so they, they went back to this weird old victorian tech and like worked it up and went oh it's worth spending all of the money to be able to invent solar panels because we have it in space and then that technology we've been able to use on land so yeah i get geeky about all that sort of weird stuff which has uh, led to you being commissioned by bloomsbury recently, i am i'm going to write a book about the history of climate change which will be out it's not going to be for a while um, but it'll be out in September 20, 
2021 so I'm writing it at the moment I have another book out in spring though if you want to read something I've written you know and you can't wait that long I've got a book called Can We Save the Planet um, spoiler-ish uh, and that's out it's, it's a, a yeah. yes-no question yeah so the answer is ish because I'm one ish. of those annoying <laughs> academics that says ish to stuff but that's out in spring okay so Alice knows a lot about this stuff and you also are across a lot of the science as well right I have a go yeah you're pretty good on it so this is your opportunity if you've got any questions to ask an expert on anything you're worried about really and even if you haven't got the facts you've got some places that you can point us towards right so I'll give it a go give it a go so yes the Stunningly beautiful woman in the front row here. It's wife. <laughs> oh, I'll turn you on. Look at that, that's the patriarchy at work. <laughs> Hi. Yay! Oh, Thanks, Hi. Sarah. Um, I'm really curious about the flying thing because I have a un, also an unnamed family member who is quite pro-flying, but also really uh, very active from a climate perspective. And I what's your perspective on because you talked about flying being very polluting and i appreciate that it is but what's the what would be your perspective on it i think that we should all try and i think we should see flying as an as, as an incredibly polluting thing but there's lots of other incredibly polluting things we do so i think so i flew recently a couple of months ago i took a, a transatlantic flight and i thought a lot before i did it and it was because some friends of mine were getting married and i really wanted to be there for their special day and it, it felt like you know it was a, a moment of celebrating love and being with my friends uh, who are you know like family uh, and that was a special event flight i still feel quite guilty about it and i have some friends in the environmental movement who were like you shouldn't have even done that and i respect that point of view but equally i think that lots of us have reasons why we really want to fly um i have quite a lot of family that live abroad um my brother's wife is malaysian she has lots of family in malaysia that's the sort of distance that you kind of need a, to get a plane to, to, to get to. Um, in fact, if you tried to get to America or uh, Malaysia without taking a, a flight, you'd probably still emit quite a lot of carbon to get there. kind of depends on how you do it. But um, travelling a long way emits a lot of carbon. I think it's good that people have international connections and that we travel and see other parts of the world. But we don't need to do it a load. So in Britain... Just to put some of these things into perspective, it's worth looking at like the how, how much each of us normally fly. So about 70% of the flights in Britain are taken by just about 15%. So there are people who don't fly at all. Most people in Britain will fly occasionally, so not every year. Actually, quite a, large, a fair number of people in Britain don't fly ever. A lot of us will not fly in any given year. Yeah. About half of us will fly not in every year. And then there's a, lo a load who fly maybe a couple of times a year. And then there's about 15% that fly like every other month or more. And there are, pe there's, there are people who are kind of commuting to their second home in another country by aeroplane. That sort of stuff we need to drop. And that, so there's one of the campaigns that we advocate at 1010 is something called the frequent flyer levy. And that would say that all of us would have one return flight a year, which we could take, if, and that would be a normal cost. There wouldn't be any extra taxation on that. It's just we could do that if that's something we chose to do. We should appreciate that it's really polluting, but it might be something we do. If we want to fly more than that, then we'd have to pay a large tax. And this is the frequent flyer levy. And that would be to stop people creating uh, their lives in a way in which they have a second home two time zones away that they commute to every couple of weeks. So that, I mean, that's, that's, that's one of those areas of injustice as well that we need to think about with flying. Is It's not all of us who are doing that. Flying is incredibly polluting, but being against a lot of flying doesn't necessarily mean that you have to say all flying is terrible and no one should ever fly. Good answer, right? 
great. Thanks, Alice. Who else has a question for Alice? Um, in Germany, there's a thing called Heitzeit, where um, kids get to stay home from school if it gets too hot to go. Uh, and I was just wondering if it would come to that in England sometime in the next years if it was getting that bad. It could arguably have got like that a couple of weeks ago. I don't know what your school's like. So one of the things they did in, they've done in Paris is that they've been trying to green areas of Paris so that they're, that will help cool it. So if you plant lots of trees, it's a lot cooler. Um, and they want to do that in playgrounds. And then they want to open those playgrounds to other people who might be hot in the, in the, in the, in the, in the area. And they might be doing things where they'd close the schools so that schools become open places where people can come for, for cool. Uh, and those sorts of policies are things that in Britain we may start having to do every, you know I mean the, the heat wave last year was pretty brutal and just a couple of weeks ago it was pretty hot it just wasn't very hot for very long but when you have it for a couple of weeks it could get like that the other thing is just it, well, so one of the reasons why I was mentioning Paris is it's not just that it's going to get so hot we need to stay home from school it's that we need to think about how we can manage that so we don't need to stay home from school so we can build schools that are cool it might mean forms of low carbon air conditioning or just building our buildings more effectively I'm sure lots of us work in buildings or go to school in buildings that get very hot in the summer and very cold in the winter and that's just because they're badly built and we need to be building better buildings so it doesn't come to that so it is it's already getting to the point where it gets I like my office is terrible it gets really well, there's a whole room in our office that we can't use for a couple of days a year regularly and a lot of us probably live like that and we need to be creating a world where because that's going to become more com- common we need to be, c- be creating buildings and other bits of infrastructure like parks uh, just so that we can avoid overheating thanks alice hi i watched a program recently that said um that one of the biggest ways of um contributing to climate change is the amount of food we waste is there any sort of active ways of promoting reducing that on on a large scale well i mean we need to think about how we shop um, so part of that's to do with individual actions. Some of this is sort of rubbing against uncomfortably with the plastic stuff because one of the things that plastics can do is stop us from uh, wasting food. So it's not just our own food that we waste um, at home because we bought too much on a three for two or something and then we don't eat it. Although that's something too. And one of the things that we can help with that is, first of all, not having supermarkets that encourage us to buy too much or us just thinking about what we're buying. But then also our local councils having food waste um, collection to help us deal with that waste well. But there's also so much food waste that happens which has got nothing to do with our own individual uh, relationship with that food. And plastics is one of the tactics that we have used to stop food waste. But we also desperately need to cut down on plastics. So maybe part of it works at the supermarket level. Part of it would be the government could be influential in making the supermarkets act in particular ways. Some of it would be at a local authority level to do with collecting waste. But things that we can do as individuals is be mindful of it and you're right it is it's a huge area of carbon emission or it's not just carbon emissions um we often use carbon emissions as a bit of a shorthand because carbon's the worst of the gases but there's a whole host of gases that can create the greenhouse effect that that will warm the planet and so methane particularly for food waste can be have a big impact just gonna, one of the things i'm going to come to you right now but um w- one of the first things that we had as a conversation was me feeling really overwhelmed oh, what do we do and w- and i really took a lot of comfort from do the things that you want to do you can't realistically do yeah, everything so we've already had a couple of things that people talk about like giving up flying or thinking about food waste or often people talk about giving up meat or dairy or like writing to your mp or 
chaining yourself to an oil rig there's lots of, there's so many different bits of advice that you're given about what is the most powerful thing you can do to take action on climate change the thing is we all need to do all of the things and that's very overwhelming so i think the thing i normally say to people is the thing that you that you will be best at that will have the most impact is probably something that you find some joy in so choose that because you will be most impactful at it it's a bit like when you go to the gym and you only go for a couple of days and then stop going because you actually hate it and so you know a personal trainer or an exercise or a PE teacher person will say choose the exercise you love because that's the one you'll stick at if you love swimming then keep swimming don't keep trying to go for a run if you hate it and the same thing I'd say is with with climate action if you just can't you just can't stop wasting food or something think of another thing to start with and that because you'll be really powerful at that and you'll be at your most infectious with that too so i say to people like if you love food challenge yourself to go vegan for a month and see all the different things you'll end up eating and experiencing because of that but also invite all your friends around and cook them amazing plant-based food and then if you're really into travel challenge yourself not to fly and see all these different parts of the world but like instagram it loads (laughs) and tell all your friends about the amazing holidays you had so like you know do the thing that brings you some joy because you'll be most powerful at that and you'll also be most infectious yeah. and then you have to do some other stuff and you can't leave the thing you're rubbish at forever probably but you have to start as well but you'll probably so find that easier because other people will have done it and then it will be easier for you to do it as well yeah. thanks yes I've got two things to ask about energy efficient light bulbs so energy efficient light bulbs it's LED right is it true that it actually affects the human body like it gives it off some kind of weird light that it's actually not good for you because i know uh, there is a, there is a, there's a lot of rumors about that i have not read any research that would really back it up so that's um, in fact what you can do one of the advantages of an led light bulb is you can choose different types of tone um, which you might find that you experience more effectively and like, makes you happier. So it, like, the quality of lighting can really affect your mood. Um, so it might be worth experimenting with a couple of different tones of LED light bulb and you'll find that one really you really like it. I, you, ha- you do hear from people who say LED light bulbs do this, this and this to my body. There isn't any research to back it up. That doesn't necessarily mean it's not true, but I wouldn't say that it's top of my concerns because it has been looked at enough that I'd, I'd say they're safe. I've got loads of LED lights in here, and as far and I spend quite a lot of time in here. And as far as I'm aware, I'm fine. I mean, there is also with animals. So there's a lot of people who don't like LED street lights because they worry that it affects birds and bats. And I'm very, I'm, as John said, I'm really into bats, so I worry about bat, bat worry, bat upsetting the bats. But um, if you do them well and you think about how you're positioning your light uh, and where you're doing it you'll end up actually have, being able to have more control over the lighting because of the nature of LED technologies and that will be better for wildlife with a lot of these things it's how you do it well it's like a wind turbine the risks of to birds and bats of wind turbines gets massively overstated the thing that really kills birds and bats is climate change <laughs> and fossil fuels but wind turbines can do kill birds and bats and they will kill them they'll kill a lot of them if you put them in the wrong place so it's about where you put them so that you you reduce the impact on on humans and and on other animals that's interesting because i've got the next question is like basically i live in kent and there's a massive petition about gravely marsh putting massive hectares of solar panels on Mm -hmm. you know bird sanctuary and stuff like that now i know that it's really good for the planet having loads of solar panels but on the other hand i don't think it should be on nature reserve 
field where all the animals live there surely it should be like in houses and stuff like that how can we i think putting solar in a field can be a really good idea and some solar farms so like ground mount in a field um can be a lot better than using that space for agricultural uses it can be better the environment than the sorts of treatment than that land sometimes so you can have a field that needs a lot of treatment to grow food on it um, and that's actually very bad for biodiversity. If you put a solar farm on it, you can also have a na- you can have a solar farm that is also very very good for nature. That has lots of wildflowers, beautiful hedges with loads of animals that can live in the hedges. It can be a real sanctuary for for wildlife. But equally, I wouldn't then put it on somewhere where you've already got a lot of biodiversity. Again, with solar, it's also what it's you think about where you put it. You have the same with offshore wind as well. Like we could, you know, you think about where you're going to put offshore wind so it's not going to hurt animals um, and it's not necessarily going to disturb wilderness Um, because it's really important that in tackling climate change we don't just cause a load of other environmental problems um, which would it is very possible that you could do there are lots of technologies for tackling climate change that if if we deploy badly will also be damaging for other ways and it's one of the things that i really wish we could get past this argument of like whether we should take action on climate change or how much we could take action on climate change because the really juicy stuff is how it's how we take action on climate change what technologies we invest in and where and who owns them and that is so important for this new world that we're going to have to create in order to save ourselves from three or four to two degrees warming um, and we're not even having that at the moment because we're too busy arguing about whether we can even build a wind turbine or not that's an excellent answer i think smaller person right next door there when you're going shopping you can find like when you're searching for a cucumber or a tomato there's barely anything that doesn't have a plastic wrapper on it what should you do well i think you can uh try and buy things that aren't wrapped in plastic and you can complain to the supermarkets we have seen there's been a huge amount of action on plastics in the last few years and we can see lots of industry really reacting really fast Um, we're seeing lots of companies investing in alternatives to plastic that might degrade more quickly Um, but ultimately tomatoes and cucumbers are excellent examples because they are they are vegetables that need protection otherwise they'll bruise and they may end up getting wasted and they won't they'll um they'll degrade quickly and they'll end up being food waste so it might be also about choosing what vegetables we eat um but yeah i think i think think when you look at the supermarket look at the ones that uh, look for ones that don't contain plastic packaging and also write to the supermarkets and let them know that that's not what you want to see because we are seeing quite a lot of supermarkets trialing like there's you're seeing already a few that are trialing plastic free shops or plastic free sections um and how fast they bring that out to the whole of the rest of the country will depend on how much they think there is an enthusiasm for it or whether they can think they can get away with one shop in the midlands and ignore the rest of the country because they've had a load of pr on tv about that um and unless they get they let they, they let you you let them know that you want it everywhere they won't bring it there but I mean, we do. There is a bit of a balance between plastic and food waste, which is a bit of something we need to. What we really also need is people to invest in research to think about how we can make new materials, new packaging materials. Well, we were talking to our. Uh, no, I was looking at you actually, Alison. Yeah, yeah, because you, you work in textiles, and you were telling us about a new textile that had been developed that um, dissolves in water, basically, and it's 
It's a wound dressing. I, I was thinking not for clothing. <laughs> Rain and then you'd be naked. Right. <laughs> Which could be fun. Well, wound dressing, context. there's so much plastic. I've been reading about this recently, the amount of plastics in uh, healthcare. It's a real... Because ch- it's really... It's a real useful plastic. It's not the same as like something you get uh, in the supermarket. You're like, that's a real waste of plastic. The healthcare plastics are, are important. So we need an alternative. When you were saying as well that those textiles meant that when you were using them, instead of them having to send samples across however many hundreds of miles and it takes time and there is the carbon that actually you can just 3D haptics. print it. Haptics. Yeah. Oh, haptics. Yeah, you can feel the quality. So new technologies have great yeah. things, yeah. It's nothing there, but you feel what it feels like. Yeah, I want that one. There's a... You, the, the, the younger human with the excellent face paint. Um, should we do Meat Free Mondays? Yeah, I think you should do Meat Free Mondays and then Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays. I think things like Meat Free Mondays are great because they um, help shift our like expectations or change like the habits we get into with meat. So like my mum was always this one of these people who like had to have meat at every meal, otherwise it wasn't properly a meal. And she was just saying the other day like I can't remember the last time I had meat because she just started having a few more meals that were meat free because I'm vegetarian and my brother's mainly meat free. And when she started getting a veg box and she had to get through a veg box so she didn't really have space on her plate for any meat because she had to eat all these vegetables that were being delivered and she was like oh no I've I've found all these new recipes because we often get into a bit of a rut about like I'm just going to eat this thing that I'm used to eating and doing challenging yourself to do not just meat free Mondays but I really recommend doing things like veganuary or like a a whole month where you challenge yourself to be completely plant based just because you'll discover so many other things and then come the next month you'll probably start eating meat again but you'll have like a bit you'll probably just know more things that you could eat that didn't have meat and you'll probably drop the amount of meat you eat and we all need to drop the amount of meat we eat in fact the thing that often shocks people about this is you need to do it for health reasons too and they know that they're like oh we probably eat too much meat for our health but the nhs says recommendations on how much meat we should eat is actually lower than the climate change scientist ones so climate change scientists are like get a lot of bad pr for saying you shouldn't eat meat they say you should, we should all reduce how much meat we eat as a country, but the level that they want us to reduce to is still higher than the NHS wants us to reduce to. So if you, go, if you do a climate change diet, you'll be at least some of the way to what you should be doing just for your heart, really. Or if you do an NHS, you know, you go, if you just eat healthily, you'll already be eating pretty well for the planet. So, yeah, you're going to do it? Definitely do you do, do it, it already? Our school is thinking to do it. Yeah, so it's worth encouraging your school to do it because that gets all sorts of people talking about it in the school as well, which is really good. But, I mean, one of the problems with a school or a big organisation doing it rather than in a family is it can mean that some people feel a bit left behind. But I think it can be really powerful to do it as a school. It's certainly a good thing to do as a family. Thanks. We've got another question here. Hi. Hello. Hi. Um, obviously, sort of governments and big business and things like that are probably quite happy with us all sort of blaming ourselves with things. And having a healthy economy seems to be one of the most important things to, I guess, most of the world. But that seems to be building new buildings, knocking them down, building new ones. And it's a massive waste of energy, isn't there, that goes into this thing. How do you persuade big governments, big businesses that a economy doesn't have to have such a huge amount of waste? 
depends on the business so a lot of businesses are actually taking huge amounts of action on all sorts of environmental things partly because they see that waste and they don't think it's a good use of their money um, and also because they don't want to be part of trashing the planet and um, there are lots of very large businesses that do a lot of really good work environmentally um, in fact doing a lot more a beat have or can work to push governments to catch up depends on which business though because there's also businesses that you know a big part of their whole reason for existing is digging a load of oil out the ground and setting fire to it and they're harder to shift and governments often are just slow moving because they just got a lot of other things they want to do uh, and they get sucked into looking at the world in a particular way arguably they can often be quite corrupt as well i mean this is sort of the thing we talked about earlier in terms of signaling to politicians it can be it is very powerful to signal to the politicians they will start to take action faster and we have seen periods where politicians in the uk have acted a lot faster than they are at the moment on climate change one of the things that the government one of the reasons the government at the our government at the moment is so slow is that they keep saying britain's doing really well on climate change and they just put their feet up that's partly because we did so well before they're just putting their feet up and coasting on the stuff that we've done before we still needed to do a lot more than we were doing but they're coasting on those previous waves and so we can we can push our government to do a lot more and i think we can go we definitely need to but i think we can go higher than those peaks that we've had previously as well and with businesses it does depend on the business i think there are some businesses that just won't really work very effectively at uh, in a world that's tackling climate change seriously but a lot of them are on board with that too i mean it's, it's different like the oil industry is quite a complicated beast so some oil companies are actually making quite a lot of shifts there's a company that used to be called dong which is a great name dong stands for danish oil and natural gas and they've shifted to be called allstead because they're shifting from oil and gas to renewables and they still got oil and gas i don't know you've got to be skeptical about how much they mean that they're going to shift but i think they're shifting a lot more than say for example shell or bp who are investing a bit in renewables but still the majority of what they do is oil uh, and gas um and i don't know it's still be maybe shell and bp can shift we'll see uh, but i think some parts of the oil industry not only can shift but are already shifting this investment looking at where yeah. We and our companies yeah, we work really for, if point. you work or study at university or your schools, everyone's got investments in certain, got a little bit of money in the bank or whatever, looking at those and then challenging people. Pensions. To, I know yeah. that is a thrilling conversation for a, a festival, but pensions, seriously, because of the way the government is now making us all have pensions, this, this actually gives us an opportunity. First of all, yes, we should probably have some kind of thinking about what, where we're going to be when we're old, even if, or especially if we're worried that it's going to be very hot. Um, but that is a, a tool that you can have so you can work with your with your company to think about where your pension pot is uh lego's pension if you work for lego then a large part of your pension is on an off is owned is owning an offshore wind farm off the coast of wales if you've ever seen that beautiful offshore uh wind farm off the coast of north wales a lot of that is owned by lego by the people who and if you work for lego when you retire your wind your retirement fund will probably be quite safe safer potentially than it would be if it was in oil and gas because it's on in wind I'm going to wrap this up because oh, we got one two we'll do one more. Okay, my question is we've been talking nicely about all the things we can do directly almost immediately and that is about in regards to our human footprint. Has anybody in your opinion Alice ever addressed that we could get to a state we're happy with in that we're doing as much as we can but it's not the footprint it's the volume of the footprint and that population is so successful that we need to put a cap on it and that the human footprint in that regard is too large and the weight of balance is going too far no matter what we do. 
So there's lots of people who talk about human population as the problem. I think there's a lot of other steps that we need to think about in terms of distribution of resources between our current population and the way how wasteful some members of our population, the global home population, are before we need to start worrying about that. The other thing is, is there are quite a few charities that specialise in population and they do for environmental reasons, but the tactics that they generally use are educating women. And I kind of think that we could do that for its own right. I don't think we need climate change as a reason to educate women and support educating women. So, I'd, I mean, I'd say just support charities that support women's rights. That's a good thing in itself. And it doesn't need climate change to do that. Um, but, I mean, yeah, it is, it is part of it is that there are a lot of people. Um, and people have an environmental impact. It's climate change, it's biodiversity, stuff like that. That doesn't necessarily mean that we need to stop people from having children, though. There's a, lo- a long way from saying there are a lot of people and some of that, that population are incredibly environmentally impactful in a very dangerous way and are killing the planet and saying that we need to put a control on population. Um, because there's so many other things we need to start doing. Do you have any ideas on how you would cap the population? I mean, who do you want to cap? I mean, this, re- this is so it ties into all the things we're talking about. I mean, I'm trying to keep, I'm trying to get us out lightly. Well, I'm assuming he's not in. He's not going to point that out. Made is uh, our drain on resources. Can we inhabit places successfully? Are we inhabiting places where we shouldn't be living, etc.? That's really, I guess, my point is: can we keep this level of population going sustainably in the long term, rather than we've got to this point in this country? That's fantastic but they'll come to a point where that's not enough because of the weight of resources you know, that we're taking up. But the, I mean, the other thing to say about population is the population in the UK is not at a worrying level. It's very easy to listen to, particularly some politicians who are worried that we've got too many people. and they get, Some areas of environmentalism get captured by some areas of the far right very quickly on immigration as well as, as population numbers. So popula- global population in the world went up m- massively in the ni- since the 1950s. You sort of see population kind of like that, and then it goes up a bit with various different technological innovations like the agricultural revolutions a couple of hundred years ago and all the stuff like burning fossil fuels that's actually quite good for keeping people alive in the short term at least Uh, and then loads of work that's happened agriculturally medically all sorts of things since the 50s Um, but now it's starting to even out a bit so it's not that we're necessarily going to have to sustain this level that we had of like rise in human population that happened in the mid 20th century anyway um, and, and anyway, certainly, I don't think we're overcrowded as a planet necessarily quite yet. We just need to think about our, what, how some a small percentage of the, of the world's population as well. Let's remember, it is, there is, it's only the really rich people, the relatively global rich, that are really the problem. Maybe we should get rid of them? Eat the rich. That Eat is rich. very good for your personal carbon footprint. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe wanna... don't want to do it for other reasons, but... Meat free Monday, <laughs> super rich Tuesday. <laughs> make, make up your protein on a Tuesday. Um, I'm going to draw it to a close because we've got other things that are happening in the shed. This has been uh, one of the most extraordinarily wide ranging uh, conversations that we've had in the space shed. And it's because your brain is so big and full of facts and information and the questions questions. and it really strikes me again how overwhelming i think sometimes it can come i was beginning to feel overwhelmed i'm going to repoint everyone to alice 1010's website is 1010uk.org 
go there loads of really good stuff on there also Alice has been uh, extremely generous and contributed some really cool stuff to a little site that we've built recently which is called how to save the dot earth and um, we've got little cards you can take away and a lot of the things she's been talking about there and there are links out from there as well to lots of other organizations including Alice's that you can visit there if you want to start getting active choose the things that keep you passionate that you give can you get... energy something that yeah. gives you energy and makes you talk to people yeah. you're gonna you're gonna come back later aren't you I, I feel am. really chat show now we're gonna come <laughs> back we've done your book um, you're gonna come back later and play us some tunes we're going to play some climate theme tunes which I promise won't be too depressing they're going to be really super fun! I've tried to go for ones that are a bit more energising. Yeah. And none of this, like, we're all going to die stuff. Um, and we've also got before then, at 5.30, we're going to be showing Hidden Figures, which is the extraordinary uh, story of the women mathematicians who did all of the sums that sent the Apollo missions to the moon because it's the 50th anniversary of the moon landings with a space shed. Um, come and see Alice play. Then we've got Frau DJs taking us on until about midnight tonight if you want to come and hang out with us. Can you please give a massive latitude, faraway forest, round of applause, Dr. Alice Bell! That was a good one, right? So much to chew on. Although I should say that no one here at the Unlimited Space Agency advocates anyone chewing on or eating anyone. Since I spoke to Alice, 1010 have changed their name to Possible, a name that better fits their stubborn optimism. Check out their new website, wearepossible.org. And if any of you, like us, really want to get involved in helping to save the planet but don't really know what to do, you can also check out our website, howtosavethe.earth. How to save the dot earth. It's got loads of suggestions for things you can do right now, things you can do with a little more effort this week or this year, including some really cool ideas from Alice. How to save the dot earth. Oh, Mini John, he's awake. Better go. Uh, as always, you can connect with us on any of the social medias. We're at Untheatre, that's UN Theatre on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And of course, there's our dedicated Space Shed website, thespaceshed.com. <laughs> I'm coming! I promised him we'd write to our MP about the climate crisis today. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and share us with your friends and family. We'll be back again soon for more Live from the Spaceship. Live from the Spaceshed is an unlimited theatre production with Season 1 brought to you in association with the Science and Technologies Facilities Council, the Cockcroft Institute, the Space and Arts Council of England, with special thanks to Dr. Rob Appleby of Manchester University. Our theme music is Go by Public Service Broadcasting, used with their extremely kind permission. Our sound engineer and editor is Andy Wood, with additional sound design by Elena Pena. The show is produced by John Spooner and Alice Massey, with support from our friends at Story Things. Live from the Spaceshed is an unlimited theatre production on behalf of the Unlimited Space Agency. Mm-hmm.